Today we're actually going to conclude the book, and it's been a it's been a real blessing. I don't know if you guys have noticed it or not, but as we've gone through the book of Jude, I've gone a slower, so they would call it going more in depth. And you may have noticed, however, that even though we went in depth, that we weren't able to cover everything. It's amazing how deep the Bible is. That's why they say that the Bible is so deep that theologians will never touch the bottom. And so I've really enjoyed the book of Jude. Uh, Basically what it is, is a book that tells us uh, that we need to fight for the faith. Because there have been false teachers, certain men that have crept into the church. They claim to be Christian and they're not really Christian. And they're in here for the wrong reason. And so we need to fight. And, and, and so I don't know if you know this or not. I pray that you would. That so much of our Christian life is a fight. It's a fight. That's why when Paul was, was, was about to die, he said, I have fought the good fight. And so maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You've got to be both. You've got to be a lover and a fighter. As a matter of fact, I think that we fight with love oftentimes. And so you might be wondering, well, what are we fighting for? I mean, in one sense, we're fighting for the Christian faith to make sure that we protect and preserve the gospel. Another thing you're fighting for is your life, your life. You're fighting for your life. And then... You're also fighting for the life of your loved ones. You know, I was thinking about that movie, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, and I actually thought of other movies uh, as well. And, you know, have you guys ever seen those battle scenes where they go in and, you know, they're fighting? And sometimes you see the scenes and, you know, someone's about to kill them and, you know, you know next thing you know, they lift their sword and so they defend themselves. Other times you'll see scenes where maybe someone else is about to be killed and then someone else, you know, comes in and rescues them. It, you know, and, and Chronicles of Narnia is a real good uh, movie that kind of pictures this whole Christian war that we're in. We're fighting for, for Christ. We're fighting for his kingdom. We're fighting for our own life. We're fighting for the life of our loved ones. And that's why this book, uh, Jude, has really captured my heart because it's so important for us to understand these things. And so as we conclude the book today, we might be able to divide it up into four sections. Uh, number one, we're going to see in verses 17 through 19 that all this was prophesied. All these mockers, all these false teachers, it was prophesied. And so we must be edified. We have to, in the fight, we've got to learn how to fight. We've got to strengthen ourselves. We've got to build ourselves up. You've got to be ready to fight. You've got to train. You ever seen those boxers? They're training. They're doing cardio. They're doing everything they need to do to fight. They study their enemy to fight. So we must be edified. And then we'll see that they can be evangelized. And at the end, that God would be glorified. And so let's pick it up here in Jude 1. And we start reading in verse 17. Notice what it says right here. But, but you, there's a contrast there. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And so uh, notice again there in verse 17, he refers to them as beloved. Uh, We saw that also in verse 3. We're going to see it again in verse 20. 
So as we're talking about fighting, I pray that we would know it's in the context of the motivation of love, that he loves the people, that God loves us. This is what this whole thing is motivated by. And in that love, here we see Jude reminds the church that all this was prophesied. You know, that, you know, you read the Bible, Jesus spoke repeatedly, he spoke constantly, warning about the wolves that would come in, the tares among the wheat, the bad birds and the branches. You know, you, you see that there are even Matthew 17, Matthew 7, verse 15, one of the most uh, prominent warnings, Jesus said, Beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So ravenous meaning they're extremely hungry. And so sometimes you see guys on TV, you see them, they're writing books, you hear them maybe on the radio, they're hungry for money. They're hungry for power. They're hungry for whatever the sin may be. And, and that's what we see these ravenous wolves are. Jesus warned his apostles who, of course, then warned us. And what we find here in Jude is there's no doubt that he's pulling from Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 where he said, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. And so Peter warned about it. Jude is writing uh, uh, of the fulfillment of it, that they're here. And over the years, it's gone worse. And so that's why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, 13, that evil men and impostors would grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so, you know, here Jude, he says again there in verse 17, he says, but you, beloved, remember... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. And then he goes on to describe four things about these guys. Uh, number one, that they would walk lustfully. Number two, that they would live sensually. Number three, that they would work divisively. And then number four, that they're bankrupt spiritually. And so we see, first of all, that they walk lustfully. Notice again there in verse 18, how they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And so these guys, they follow their own desires, uh, propelled by their flesh. These guys are living for self-satisfaction. And remember, we talked about this, you know, and it, 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 it's anywhere in the church, no matter if you're a pastor, you're an usher, praise God for the opportunities that you guys were hearing today in the ministry announcements. Uh, even in the nursery, we're here to serve. We're here to give. Even in our worship, you know, I pray that you guys are here to give worship to God. That as you're singing those songs, a lot of times people when they're singing the songs, they're like, well, I want to feel it. And, you know, you get the goosebumps. You guys ever feel the, the feelings of, of worship? It's cool. But is that why you worship? Because if that's why you worship, then that's not really worship. Worship is just coming and serenading God. It's giving to God. The whole uh, concept of being a Christian leader or servant is not to get, not to fulfill my own ungodly desires. It's to give. 
But that's where these guys were. They, they were here, you know, with this ungodly lusts. And then verse 19 talks about how they not only walk lustfully, but they live sensually. And it's related to each other. The word here in the Greek language, it literally means belonging to breath. And what it speaks of is having the nature and characteristics of animal life. And so these men are like beasts with only the sensuous nature. And so it's in subjection to their natural appetites and passions. That's why the same Greek word is translated natural man in 1 Corinthians 2.14. And in James 3.13, it's called a sensual man. And so these are guys in the church, they operating on their own natural instincts and worldly desires And so as they're there, the third thing we see, not only do they walk lustfully and live sensually, but they work divisively. And we see that there in verse 19. Again, these are sensual persons who cause divisions. And that's what they do. And the reason is because, you know, the enemy is using them as instruments. And the enemy knows that if I can divide the church... I can defeat the church, right? I mean, earlier in the book of Jude, in verse 11, Jude brought up this guy, Korah, who tried to divide the congregation, right? We read that in Numbers chapter 16. And so the devil, he just wants to divide and and conquer. And, And we have to be so careful of that. You know, one of the seven things the Lord lists as something he hates, identified even as an abomination to him, is one who sows uh, discord among the brethren in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19. And so, you know, united as a church, we're going to be strong. You know, we're going to be strong. The devil knows that. And so he'll try to find some type of nook and cranny, someone that he can work through, someone that he could say something, you know, through in order to drop those seeds of discord and sow them among the brethren, right? Because we know the importance of unity, right? It's no secret. You guys can finish this sentence, right? United we stand, divided we we fall, right? And so uh, I always tell you guys, I think I, every time about that little boy who's, whose dad told him to break the sticks. And so he gave him a bundle of sticks and the little boy tried to do a karate chop and it didn't work. And then he propped up the bundle of sticks against the rock and he stepped on it and didn't work. He couldn't break it. And so he goes back to his dad and he says, Dad, I can't break the sticks. And his dad said, oh, mijo, this is so simple. All you have to do is untie them. You untie them and you break them. You break them one by one. This is what the devil desires to do. As a matter of fact, I thought it would be cool to turn to Psalm 133. Because not only do I want you to know how how bad division is, I think it's important to know how wonderful, how beautiful unity is. Look at Psalm 133. It says in verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. 
Can you visualize that? Can you visualize Aaron, the high priest, and they put oil over him, and it's running down all over his beard, and it's dropping down all through his clothes, and even to the edge of his garments. Can you visualize that? It's oil. It's oil. Would you be okay with that? Dripping all over your body? Well, what's oil symbolic of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. You see, when a church is united, it is powerful. I mean, there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, and it doesn't mean that we're all the same. We are, we are different people. We're supposed to be different people. We have different views, but we don't divide over them. We don't allow the enemy to come in and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is against you, and you just get this weird, you know, vibe or whatever, and you, next thing you know, you, know, you start running with it. You start running in the other direction. No way. Not, not when you're a mature Christian. When you're a mature Christian, you're like, no way. I will not let the enemy do that to me. I love my brothers, and we are a team here. We are a church here. We're united here. We might be different, but praise God for our differences because there's, there's harmony, there's unity even in diversity. And so when there's this unity, when we all have our eyes on the Lord, Look at this anointing right here all over Aaron. And look at verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, and the, the dew, what is that? The goodness of God that falls down from above. It's this little, you know, moisture that, that, that blesses, you know, all the, the, the greenery and the flowers and, and that's what God, that's all we want as a church. That's all we want as Christians. I don't know, you know, exactly what's good for me, but God knows what's good for me. And it may look different, but as long as it comes from him, I know it's a blessing. And that's all I want. And so, you know, whether it's a church, whether it's a family, sometimes it's a, it's a marriage, the enemy will always try to come in and divide. Don't let him. Don't let him. We are united here. And right back in Jude, these guys, unfortunately, that was their whole desire. You know, these, they, they're, they're not good. Walking lustfully, living sensually, working divisively. And then the, the last thing we see in verse 19 is that they're bankrupt spiritually. Notice again, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. You see, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. When you, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's a completely different you know, life. I remember before I was a Christian, people would talk to me about Jesus. I didn't know, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand anything they were saying. It was a completely foreign language. And don't forget that, you know, when you go witnessing to people, you may think, well, I've got the great argument, you know, and this is a for sure thing. And, you know, you might be real passionate. I remember this one guy, he used to witness to me before I was a Christian. He would sweat. That's how aggressive and intense and he was so into it. But I could not understand anything he was saying. Nothing. Because I didn't have the Holy Spirit. You know, and I'm not saying you don't, you know, try to, you know, speak smart and, you know, use apologetics and, and all that kind of stuff and share scriptures. But if they don't have the Holy Spirit, and if it's not the Lord, you know, wooing them, then they won't understand. 
But you have some of these guys in the church that are like that. I wonder sometimes, you know, these guys that have these Bentleys or these guys that would have these, you know, just, man, multi-million dollar mansions. I wonder how can they live with themselves as a pastor? Now, listen, if you're here and you got a business and you worked hard and you're a good steward and you're rich, that's different, you know, because, you know, sometimes I think uh, people who are good with their money, they, they don't want to give it all away because at the end of the day, sometimes people, they just, other people, they need to learn to work hard. You don't, you know, use your money irresponsibly. But, but, it, but when you're a pastor, when you're a preacher, when you're teaching the word of God to the people, you don't live like that. It's different. How can they live like that? And the answer is they don't have the Holy Spirit. How can that guy over there and he, you know, his wife, and he's a pastor, and his wife is, is dying of cancer, how can he be sleeping with five women in the church while his wife is dying of cancer? How can that happen? And the answer is he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's not saved. Sometimes I see it in the church, and only the Lord knows, but I'm wondering how can this guy be looking at porn so deep, so entrenched, and at the end of the day, one day we might find out it's because he, he doesn't really know the Lord. He's not saved. These guys are in there because sometimes they propel themselves up into positions because they're good talkers or whatever. They have a charismatic personality, and, and they're there, but in all reality, they're not saved. That's what Jude is saying right here. And so as we look at this going on in the church, you know, we could almost like just, man, Lord, how can this possibly be? And I know it's hard, but the first thing we see is that all this was prophesied. You know, Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it, how there would be mockers, how there would be scoffers, how there would be terrors, how there would be these bad birds, how there would be these wolves in sheep's clothing. They're there. And so in light of that, we need to be stronger as a church. We need to, we need to grow. And that's what he talks about next in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I don't know if you, you know, hopefully you guys don't fight, like physically fight a lot, but the ones that do that for a living, they have to get ready for those fights, huh? You ever seen Rocky? The way he trains, um, in one sense, we have to do the same. But we would have to do that spiritually speaking. Again, he uses the word beloved, just reminding them. And I pray that you would know this is all motivated by a heart that loves you. We love you guys. We want you to go to heaven. We want you to, to be able to defend yourself. We want you to be able to rescue others. It's motivated by that. And four things are mentioned here, um, not only as a contrast, but I believe also as people who are to, to contend for the faith. You want, you know, good fighters, right? And so number one is building. 
We are to be building. Number two is praying. We are to be praying. Number three is keeping. We're going to see we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then number four is looking. Looking unto the return of Christ. And so, again, he mentions that in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And and what this is in reference to is, is just getting stronger, growing deeper, truer, taller in spiritual stature, you know. And, and the truth is, you know, we might look at someone physically speaking and we think, well, so-and-so is taller. You know, and that's a physical thing. But there is also a spiritual stature that, that God sees. Some people, and I've seen it, they haven't even been Christians as long as that person, but, man, they passed them up. They're so strong. They have built themselves up in their most holy faith, right? And this happens primarily through God's word, the Bible. And now Paul, the apostle, and writing and speaking to the Ephesians uh, elders in Acts 20 and verse 32, he said, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, it, it has so much to do with the Bible. You know, I have a, one of the brothers here, Brother Billy, he always says the, the good word. He calls it the good word. I like that, huh? Isn't that a perfect description of the Bible? You know, because there's bad words, but this is the good word. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians in reverse, uh, chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt word, no corrupt word, those are rotten words, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so the word of God, it will build you up, right? Um, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom and piety and holiness and godliness you know, normally, you know, when we think of being built up, you know, we think, well, I'll go to church and, you know, the pastor will preach, you know, or others will, you know, speak. Even Ephesians talks about this, how others can speak and build you up. But here, Jude is talking about us building ourselves up in our most holy faith. And so uh, what we find right here is we are to do this for ourselves and to ourselves. You must take personal responsibility for your own walk. Now, every once in a while, you'll get someone that says, yeah, I've been going to that church and I haven't really grown. And yeah, sometimes it, it is because maybe they're not teaching you the word. You know, but, but you know, you're there for an hour. You're there sitting under the teaching me for an hour, two hours. What are you doing the rest of your week? You know, I can honestly say that when I got saved, I developed a hunger in my life, in my heart, to read, uh, to seek God, to serve. And I, and, I, and I thank God for the church that I was in, but I, I don't think it was primarily, you know, the church that I was in. It was the Lord just saying to me, Manny, you've got to grow. And you have to build yourself up. You have to wake up in the morning and open up that Bible. And we're going to see next, you've got to fall to your knees. And you've got to read books. And you've got to listen to studies. Build yourself up. You know, and so one day we can get built. Guys, they want, you guys want to get muscles, right? Or is that over? You're like, done, I'm done with that. 
I still, you know, I want a little bit. I want to, you know, look good for my wife or whatever, you know. So I go to the gym and I do, you know, 300 push-ups. No, I don't. But, you know, there's a science to it. They say, you know, certain exercises and then, I don't know, protein, chicken, I don't know, something. And it kind of works. And, you know, you get built. That's what you want, spiritually speaking. Build yourself up. You know, it, it can actually become a turning point in your life when you come to this realization because one day I think you're going to find yourself where you realize that you are the one most responsible. You can't blame it on anyone else. And sometimes you might even find yourself in a place where you have no one else to do this for you. You're, you know, whatever, your husband's not helping, your kids aren't helping. Maybe you don't even have a lot of support around you, but you still have that calling in your life. You know, I remember that crossroads that David was in after he had backslid for a long time and he was there with the Philistines and uh, he was going to fight with them, but uh, he didn't, he was going to fight on their team against the Jews. God protected him from that. But then when they went back to their camp after getting kicked out by the Philistine generals, they went back and they had found that the Amalekites had come and taken their kids and wives away And so they were just about to kill David, and David was at this turning point. He was at a crossroads in his life. And I love what the Bible says. It says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But notice what it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He did it. He, he did this for himself. And that was the turning point of his life. Listen, you can't blame it on your spouse. You can't blame it on your kids. You can't blame it on your circumstances. You can't blame it on your church. What Jude says right here is build yourself up in your most holy faith. And so we need to be building Secondly, we need to be praying. We read that again there in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying, but not just praying. Notice he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, and and let me just ask you, you know, uh, are you praying? I'm not talking about just before you eat your food. I'm talking about like truly a a, a prayer life, you know. If we don't pray, then we end up as prey for these false teachers. I'm referring really to an animal that is hunted and killed by another for food. One day they might come knocking at your door. And because you don't know the Bible, you haven't been building yourself up, you haven't been praying, and it just, it almost angers me, but it definitely breaks my heart when I see someone who used to go to church Sometimes you see them a lot, a lot, especially in the Catholic Church, because they don't know their Bibles, and you get a Jehovah Witness coming, knocking at the door, preaching a different Jesus. Paul the Apostle, he talked about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I fear that somehow, the ser- as the serpent deceived Eve, he might you know, deceive you, because if someone comes and preaches a different Jesus, you might well put up with it. 
No, we believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. Jesus is God. The Jehovah Witnesses will come and they'll tell you that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. No, he's not. He's not created. He's God everlasting. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 8, verse 24, that if you do not believe that he is God, if he said, if you do not believe I am, you will die in your sins. The Mormons might come. And again, we love these people. Some of these people don't really know the church doctrine. And they have a genuine faith in Christ. But the Mormons will tell you that Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer. Absolutely not. But if we don't pray, we become prey. If we're not building ourselves up, and we, we need to pray... And we need to pray, it says right here, in the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and, and when you look at that, again, some don't pray. Others, maybe they do, but they don't pray in the Spirit. You know, Romans eight twenty six and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, notice this, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he searches the hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so what does it mean to be praying in the Spirit? It means that you're sensitive to the Spirit when you pray. It means that you're filled with the Spirit when you pray. You're led by the Spirit when you pray. Some people, they pray in tongues. If you have the gift of tongues, you're there, you're praying, you know, in tongues. Some people, they just groan. That's what he's talking about right here. You're groaning. And I know, I know not all of you can, but man, I encourage you, get down on your knees. Get down on your face. Don't play around. I mean, this, this battle that we're in with these guys that are doing so much damage, causing division in the church, I mean, just, man you know, ravaging the church, we got to fight for them. And so we have to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We have to pray, but not just pray. We have to pray in the spirit, true prayer life. And what we find is as these things begin to happen, then we become, you know, prayer warriors, passionately, obediently. We don't do it to get our will or our thrill. We get it to discover God's will, because his will is best for our lives. And then he, he mentions there in verse 21, how we're to keep yourselves in the love of God. And so there's building, there's praying, and there's keeping. And, and there's no doubt about it. You know, I, I've noticed this in life as a Christian, that there's this beautiful balance where, you know, one sense God keeps us, but where we need to know that we need to keep ourselves right there, smack dab in the middle of God's love. You know, and it's, it's something that I think can be challenging because we don't feel lovely. But no matter who you are, you have to know that God loves you. Yes, you. And that's why Jesus said in John 15, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I have also have loved you. Abide in my love. Think about that. As the Father loved the Son, can you imagine what kind of love that was? 
Jesus said, that's how I love you. And so what I want you to do is to rest in his love, stay in his love, build on his love. You know, I'm reminded of that song we sometimes sing congregationally. I sing it pretty much every day, you know, personally, where it says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a sure foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. It's a great song, a new song. I think back in the early days, well, maybe not early days, but, you know, a a while back, that song, I could sing of your love forever. You guys remember that song? It says, your river flows with love for me over the mountains and the sea. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth and I will daily lift my hands For I will always sing of when your love came down. And then he goes on and sings, I could sing of your love forever. We have to open up our hearts and let the love of God heal us. We have to keep ourselves there. Let me ask you a question today. Do you know that God loves you? Do you really know that? How many of you here would admit that you're all messed up? You know, and you may think, well, I'm worse than the person next to me. And, you know, I don't know. Only the Lord knows because we all are wired differently and we all have different uh, experiences growing up. And some were molested and some were neglected by their parents. And there's just so many factors that contribute to who we are as people. So whatever you do, you don't compare yourself to the person next to you. But it doesn't matter who you are. You've got to know God's word. It says that he loves you. He loves you and that love will never change. And you have to keep yourselves there, Jude says. Get there and keep yourself there. This is how we fight the good fight. You know, I fail sometimes. I remember just some, you know, going through my life and some seasons were maybe even more of a struggle than others. And, you know, I just remember kind of like the only way I could explain it is I just going through my own failures as as a Christian man. And the only way I could really explain it is I look uh, like like this way. And I would notice that Jesus is still there. And then I'd fall again or whatever, and I noticed that he's still there. And it was almost like I, I would say, God, you still love me? And he would just say, yeah, I always will. And you don't, you know, abuse that, but you embrace it because it's so important in this fight you know, as far as who we are. We, we are to be building ourselves up. We are to be praying in the Holy Spirit. We are to be keeping ourselves in the love of God. And then he says there that we are to be looking. Look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You know, and Titus, a great cross passage in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is us living every day, understanding that Christ might return today. With that, you know, know, we're living life in light of the Lord's imminent return, right? We have this 
expectancy. We have this urgency. Let me ask you a question. Can Jesus come today? Yes, it's true. Or maybe even another question. Can you die today? Yeah, you might die today. You might see Jesus today. Now, either one is kind of good uh, for me anyways, but the Lord coming back would be even better, right? You know, um, but that's how we live our life. Every single day we're looking that way. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, the word translated looking in Jude 21 means earnestly expecting. It describes an attitude of life that is motivated by the promise of our Lord's return. The apostates can only look for judgment, but God's people are looking for mercy. Not only is our salvation from sin the gift of God's mercy, but so also is the deliverance of his church from this evil world. In his mercy, he will come for us and take us to himself. And so... Um, all this was prophesied, Jude said. So we must be edified, and then they must be evangelized. In verse 22, he says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And so here it is, guys. I mean, to me, again, going back to the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, going back to the Lord of the Rings. You guys like those movies? Don't The bad guys are real ugly, huh? <laughs> and the bad guys are. And so probably some of my favorite parts of those fights were when, you know, someone else is about to die and someone comes in and they just, in the nick of time, like right in the nick of time, they rescued them. Listen, that's what you do. That's what you do when you fight for your family, when you fight for your kids, when you fight for your church, when you fight for the lost. You know, Mark was talking about how they're going to go out and invite people to the Easter service. And I don't know what you're doing on Saturdays. But man, that, that's what you can do. You can come and you can invite somebody. Maybe that will pull them out of the fire. You know, right here he says you have to make a distinction. On some, you know, you have, you have compassion. On others, you're more aggressive and... I don't know if you guys have ever heard that saying in Christian circles that the broken heart needs love while the hard heart needs law. You know, and as we go fishing for the lost, some need to be approached compassionately and gently and tenderly lest you push them away, while others need to be approached more aggressively. You know, you go and you share the Lord with some people and you tell them about heaven and they get saved. Well, you go and you tell that same person about heaven, it doesn't mean anything. So what do you do? You tell them about hell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I'm not, there's no cookie-cutter approach. Like if someone admits they're a sinner, you don't have to pound them with that. What, what Jude is talking about right here is you make a distinction. And some of you have compassion making a distinction, but others you say with fear, pulling them out of the fire and, and as you do that, you even do that not just gently and tenderly or aggressively, but you do it carefully lest you yourself get burned. But we do need 
to be rescuing people out of that burning building. Imagine pulling someone out of a burning building. You know, that will give you some adrenaline rush. That will give you boldness. You won't do it casually or calmly. You need to do it swiftly and aggressively, but you also need to do it carefully. And that's what Jude is talking about right here, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. I remember one time this one guy who goes and he rescues uh, women from sex trafficking. One day we were in Mexico and he took me in. He just said, hey, Pastor Manny, get in the car. And so, we, you know, I didn't know where we were going, but I got in the car and he drove me to this area of TJ that I had never been before. And uh, he said, let's walk. And so we started walking and we saw all these gals that were for sale lined up along the, the, the stores like soda pop you know, bottles in the 7-Eleven, you know, refrigerator. And then we went through this. And I, I'm like, man, I, I, how do people, if you're going to be in this ministry, man, you need to be careful. And a lot of times what happens is people end up falling as they're reaching for others. So God will give us wisdom. But, but, but here's the thing, and, and we don't have a lot of time, but... If you ever wonder, like, what's the vision for the church? What, what is, like, the overall general goal? Number one is we want God to be glorified. Number two, we want the church to be edified. And number three, we want the world to be evangelized. And it's interesting because those are three things that he mentions right here. The, the last one, notice, is God getting glorified. In verse 24, it's now like, it's almost like he prays this doxology you know, and he just wants to bring Almighty God into it and give him all the glory. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And I love that. Not only does he hear us when we're calling, he catches us when we're falling. This is how good God is. You know, and to present you, notice, faultless. Imagine that. You, <laughs> me, faultless before the presence of his glory, notice with exceeding joy. You know, one day when we're there in heaven, it's not going to be like, yeah, him too. It's not going to be like that, man. It's going to be this, man, this joy. He's washed us, cleansed us. I mean, Jude says, now let's, you know, you got to do your part. And he's been talking about this the whole time. You know, you have to read your Bible and pray and, and go to church and fight and be careful and watch out for these guys but at the end of the day, it's God. It's God who does it. And he gives him all the glory and all the credit. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone, I love that, alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And we thank God for the, the church. We thank God for our church leaders. But they, we never give anyone the glory except God. He gets all the glory and all the credit. Listen, He loves you. He died for you. He's working in your heart. He strengthens you. And, 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 as, and as we close this letter right here, 
it's just so cool, you know, because, uh, I mean, we, we, we'll go back to the, the fight scene with the Chronicles of Narnia, and, uh, and you can't deny, you can't deny that we're fighting, right? You can't. You're a part of it. You're engaged in it. You're sweating. You might get like a little slice on your arm or whatever, you know? We're in this war. We're entrenched in it. But at the end of the day, like we have this one uh, picture at the end where Aslan comes. Have you guys seen Chronicles of Narnia? At the end of the day, we ain't going to win unless he does what he does. Right? And that's what Christ has done for you. I mean, we, we fight not for victory, but from victory. And what, what Jude is saying right here is let's make sure that we look to God in all this, that we give him all the glory. You know, yesterday we, we did a service uh, for uh, an individual, and uh, part of the family was uh, part of this other religion. And then another part, there was a, a, like a Christian connection and so when the other religion was there, they were pretty much preaching um, religion. They would preach, well, you have to come and study with us. And, you know, preaching more of a works mentality. And uh, just, the, there w- it, was, it was so unclear. I mean, here you are in a funeral trying to tell people to get ready to die. Listen, here's the question. What must I do to be saved? He didn't have an answer. And then it's just so cool for us as Christians, we have the answer. And they preached Jesus to them. The enemies all don't preach in that name. You can preach in any other name, but not that name. We forbid you to preach in that name. Why not? Because that's the only name that brings salvation. Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you don't know him. We're not here preaching about a religion. We're not here saying, hey, you have to come to whatever, this church or this building. Listen, if you want to be saved, if you want forgiveness... If you want freedom, if you want love, if you want peace, if you want joy, if you want your name written in the book of life, believe on the Lord Jesus. Accept him today as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you're here today and your heart is hurting and you don't know which way to turn, what we want to share with you today is the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you, who died on a cross for you, who rose again. And if you give your life to him, you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus, then you will be saved.